Yeah, so starting from um, Monday this week, uh, so the 6th of November, um, sorry, Monday last week, so a week ago, um, yeah, Blockade Australia has been holding mobilisation and every day since then there's been some kind of disruptive action on the coal rail network. Um, so it's the rail line that uh, uh, feeds coal uh, into Newcastle Coalport, um, which is the world's largest coalport. And so today uh, in the morning, uh, somebody uh, blocked the coal railway line from a tree sit. So they were uh, sitting on a platform that was suspended in a tree and also um, their like, supporting rope was tied off to the railway line. Uh, and then just as they were being taken down, uh, a second person locked on, on the ground to the tracks. Um, and as far as I know, they're currently still locked on. So police responded um, about an hour into that action. Um, and, yeah, currently just trying to figure out how to, how to get them out. Um, and, yeah, so today is the eighth day of disruption in a row. Um, and Emily, who was the second person to lock on today, is the 16th person, um, yeah, to take action yeah, it's quite amazing, really, to see uh, such consecutive uh, action taking place around the Newcastle Court Board. Of course, it isn't the first time in which there's been uh, actions uh, trying to uh, shut down the the Court Board or you know actions that have effectively shut down the Court Board. You mentioned there that Newcastle is uh, one of the largest uh, coal ports, I believe, even in in the Southern Hemisphere. Can you tell us more about that and why it's such a significant site in terms of, uh, I guess, the struggle for climate justice and for you know trying to put pressure on our government to actually act on, on climate change? Yeah, so the Newcastle Coal Port is actually the world's largest coal port. Um, and I guess it's like a pretty big signifier of Australia's leading role in the climate crisis. Australia has the largest um, per capita um, CO2 emissions, if you include export, uh, which a lot of the time uh, when we're talking about government policy, uh, we don't actually include export, um, which I think often leaves Australia in a position of kind of greenwashing uh, the industrial like, position that they are and the role that they're playing in the climate crisis. Uh, and yeah, part of um, a big aim of Blockade Australia is to highlight um, this position that Australia has, that it's not a matter of... Um, lack of awareness or lack of education or, um, you know, a, a mistake that's been made by government policy to continue these industries. But it's like, it's a very intentional act to prioritise, um, you know, prioritise relationships with massive fossil fuel companies over um, the very real necessity of ceasing these kinds of industries in the interest of, like, health and safety of not only Australians but everyone on Earth because... As you know, everyone is going to be hugely impacted by this. So when Blockade Australia is looking at targets, um, it's yeah looking to target um, places of economic and political importance. Um, so, yeah, Newcastle Coalport is a great example of that. It's hugely internationally significant and also a key part of Australia's role in the climate crisis. I guess talking a little bit about Australia's role in the climate crisis, of course, uh, most of our listeners will be familiar with uh, the, the government's 
earlier um, announcement this year of the uh, the plan to have a net zero by 2050. Of course, we've had uh, Scott Morrison at uh, the the recent uh, COP summit, uh, really sort of still advocating for the you know some of the big fossil fuel companies and and not phasing out coal. It's it, it's not even really a, a, in some ways a question worth asking about the the federal government's approach to to fossil fuels and to coal. But I guess uh, and you went some way to answer it already. But I mean, looking at the sort of the the upcoming federal election and both major political parties still very much being in bed with the fossil fuel companies. Do you see any potential or option for actually putting pressure on, I guess, the sort of the, the political end of town to, I guess, you know, to change these industries and to phase out fossil fuels? Or is, is that what has led to Blockade Australia, the fact that, you know, successive governments have failed to act on climate change and now it's up to people to just take direct action? Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting question because obviously um, direct action has a huge element of, you know, pressure and leverage to it. And when we talk about, you know, we do talk about political pressure and um, trying to gain political power and things like that. But when we talk about that, we're not talking about, you know, trying to get um, get the federal government to shift slightly on their policy or even to encourage people to vote for one of the more greener parties because, you know, regardless of minor differences that, like, um, the parties do have, none of them are presenting uh, a kind of realistic plan in terms of addressing the situation in a way that's fast enough and broad scale enough in terms of, you know, shifting industry. Um, And so... um, Yeah, like, when we take direct action it is to cause um yeah it's to cause that pressure but it's um you know it's aiming to do so in a way that actually um has like a material threat element to it it's not just about um you know trying to make a certain political party look bad or trying to raise awareness about the situation because i think everyone is very much aware of the situation it's just a matter of um there being real consequences of not acting. And I think, um, I think a big failing of the environmental movement um, is, to, is like the lack of recognition of the importance of creating consequences. And so, yeah, I guess like Blockade Australia is acting as like, you know, aiming to be that pressure point, but also is um, trying to create like real consequence for the lack of action on the climate crisis. I think it's quite interesting in terms of looking at direct action. Of course, Australia has a, a long history of employing direct action, particularly around sort of forest blockades and so forth. But in more recent years, of course, with the Adani coal mine project uh, over here in Western Australia, we had the massive campaign to try and stop uh, the development at James Price Point. And there is a real mm. rich history of it. However, as you're saying there, there is, I guess, um, you know, the broader environmental movement hasn't always necessarily embraced uh, direct action as... I, I guess as a as a form of of action, and as sometimes you know even distance themselves from it, and in a way, particularly around the issue of climate change, it seems as though people still feel like they've got something to lose. You know that there's still time. It's sort of a strange mm. a strange reality when you look at the the science and some of the modelling and, and what's happening, and the fact that we're still very much uh, in bed with these fossil fuel companies. Do do you think that there is uh, that reality, particularly here in Australia, where some people are still living uh, relatively privileged? 
privileged lives, haven't really uh, maybe felt the impacts of uh, climate change, unlike our you know our friends in in you know elsewhere in the world or in the global south. Uh, do you think that people are still a bit afraid to take direct action because they still don't really quite grasp how serious the situation is? Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the biggest struggles in um, kind of trying to encourage this, you know, culture of strategic direct action resistance to, you know, certain kinds of oppression um, is that so many people in Australia are extremely comfortable. Um, and we're also, you know, we're also kind of fed this, fed this narrative of being this, like, lucky country and to be grateful for what we have and, to, like, that, that gratitude is owed to our history, our like extractive history of using Australia as this massive resource pit to just be like totally exploited from day dot. It was kind of used as this um, extraction zone where, you know, British colony came, um, you know, attempted genocide against like an entire um, peoples and, you know, has kind of continued that like destruction to the earth. Um, but, you know, we've, co- we've covered up that history quite well in that, like, people, you know, people learn about the great, you know, pioneering miners and um, how that, you know, boosted the economy and um, helped place Australia on, like, a global stage in terms of providing these minerals to the rest of the world, um, like, minerals and resources to the rest of the world. And I think a lot, there's a lot of Australian identity wrapped up in that. Um, and it's it's quite sad because there's so much more to celebrate celebrate about you know the way that people interact with each other, the way that people identify with the place that they live. Um, but you know because of um, because of who writes the history books, we kind of focus on that um, that part of it. And yeah, people are definitely in denial about how bad the situation is. And um, they're also, yeah, living under this pretty strong, broad-scale delusion that um, that doing nothing will be okay and that something else will figure it out, whether that's, um, you know, some kind of magical technology that's going to be able to suck CO2 out of the air at a rate faster than we're producing it or, um, you know, somehow by voicing their concerns to their local politician um, or, you know, going along to a, a rally, you know, once or twice a year, um, the politicians will, you know, magically start listening and will suddenly pivot our, you know, approach to energy and our approach to fossil fuels. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's definitely delusional. I think any, anything short of being materially disruptive to key parts of the system at this point in history um, is pretty much a death sentence. Like, it's, it's not going to shift fast enough unless there's, like, a very real material threat to that kind of entrenched power. Certainly. Uh, finally, Clancy, there is, uh, I guess... Of, of, um, you call it a, a convention, a convergence uh, happening on June 27th in Sydney called 
by uh, Blockade Australia. Uh, I, I imagine also actions are ongoing there in Newcastle. I guess for our listeners uh, over here in WA, there's, there's plenty of reason to uh, to get active, uh, particularly with our, our mm. current gas-led recovery and so forth. But what, what would you say to our, our listeners if they want to get involved in Blockade Australia and this particular, I guess, campaign or movement um, and take part to uh, to resist the climate in action? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, if you can make it to Sydney on June 27th, there's going to be a week-long mobilisation. Uh, it'll be a week of disruption to strategic targets. Um, and, yeah, we're definitely encouraging people from around Australia to come and converge in Sydney. We're trying to encourage um, people to think as strategically as possible about where they're putting their energy into in, ter- in terms of... Um, participation in the struggle for climate justice. Uh, we acknowledge that the movement, um, especially the, the kind of more active direct action element of the movement is understaffed, but um, to take this kind of action, you don't actually need a lot of people. But what we do need is people who are able to recognise that as an important and necessary element of making change to kind of come and centralise that power and... Um, yeah, and kind of like make make that effort count as much as possible. Um, and so, yeah, I guess like coming along to that mobilisation um, is an event on Facebook called um, Blockade Sydney Resist Climate in Action uh, and we'll also be holding an info night for anyone who's been seeing the actions over the last week and is excited and wants to get involved uh, either in organising in some way or um, just coming along to that next mobilisation. And that'll be on um, Tuesday, the 24th of November, and it'll be an online for a night for anyone who's interested.